You're listening to the Girls in Work podcast, the show that brings you interviews and advice for career women everywhere. This is Girls in Work. Find us at girlsinwork.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Girls in Work podcast. We have made it to the end of season two. <laughs> we did it. I feel like we need sound effects here. Yeah, we were just saying, weren't we? Like, we can't believe we got to the end of another season. And it's been an eventful season. My goodness. Mm. It has not been. <laughs> Do you know how was it? Kirsty in episode one was talking about careers not being like a straightforward ladder anymore. They're like jungle gyms. I feel like the season has definitely mm-hmm. been a jungle gym of an experience. Oh my God, it has. There's, some, there's been some highs. There's been some lows. There's been cream egg debates. <laughs> There's been meltdowns from Soph <laughs> yeah, on more than one occasion. <laughs> yeah, no, it has been. It's been a wonderful season. Like um, you just said, like we've timed this perfectly in the UK because this episode is coming out on April 12th, which is actually when the first kind of steps of lockdown easing in the UK, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, now, like Em said, we've done this now, we're off out. Yeah. We off to go sit in a beer. Yeah. <laughs> finish the season off to get a pint <laughs> well I am anyway yeah <laughs> well there's a, this is the thing so for those of you who don't know I don't drink I never have done but like everyone always mm-hmm. thinks like oh like you don't go to pub like no yeah I will go to pub obviously with friends obviously, oh yeah I just don't have an alcoholic drink but you know what I wish there really was I wish there was like coffee gardens and I know there kind of is like some coffee shops <laughs> do have like outside space but just be nice you know do you know what so if next time the moment when we're finally reunited we will go find a coffee garden <laughs> okay thank you <laughs> We'll make it happen. Okay, but yeah, no, on a serious note, it's, it's been such a wonderful season. We've had so many amazing guests and we do just want to thank them for their time again and give us some mm-hmm. invaluable career and life advice that I think has been has been really helpful, not just to us, but to, yeah. to a lot of people as well. Um, oh, damn it, I had another line I was going to say. Uh, Maybe like thank the listeners. That's it, that's what I was going to do. <laughs> yeah, those people that make this possible. <laughs> This is meant to be like a shot. We're meant to be pros by now. Yeah, and we also do just want to thank you and the listeners because we say this every episode but we wouldn't be able to do this without you and Mm -hmm. so we do from the bottom of our hearts thank you so much for listening to us ramble on in our introductions every single week talking about everything and nothing at the same time we really really appreciate you Mm -hmm. and we really hope that you've enjoyed the season that you can go and listen back to all of the episodes as and when you need to and yeah do you want to introduce this week's episode em yeah so we really couldn't wish for a better episode to finish with it was such an inspirational interview so we spoke to grace who is a senior international marketing manager in the film and entertainment industry working across one of the biggest global film franchises and has worked in the industry now for over 10 years we learn all about grace's career journey her highlights and her challenges and also cover a very important topic of balancing your health with work we also discuss why you should view your career as a marathon rather than a sprint and grace provides her wonderful wisdom and advice on how you can begin to change that perspective so we hope you enjoy this season finale. Okay, so then Grace, to start with, could you just tell us a little bit about what you do now, what your career journey has been and how it's helped you get here? Sure. So believe it or not, I'm part of a team that looks after the wizarding world from a marketing and brand perspective. And that means the film franchises Harry Potter and Fantastic Beasts. So not publishing or the stage play if you've seen Harry Potter and the Cursed Child, but pretty much everything else we touch from a studio perspective. So that's theatrical, home entertainment, TV, games, 
consumer products, themed entertainment and digital. It's it's a really chunky role. And I should probably get out of the way at the start that I'm a very proud Hufflepuff. Mm-hmm. And it's really important <laughs> you know that because it's really important in our team. When it comes to your development, you know, it's your Myers-Briggs, it's your DISC profile and it's your Hogwarts house. That's amazing. I mean, do you guys know your Hogwarts house? I think I'm a Hufflepuff as well. <laughs> I used, I always, when I was growing up, I obviously always wanted to be Gryffindor because, like, Harry is obviously, like, so cool and I just wanted to be in, like, his club. Um, But when I think, when I've taken the sorting test, I'm pretty sure I'm Hufflepuff, which makes sense when I think about it. Yeah, I think I am as well, but I I don't know. I feel like I need to redo it. That's amazing. Hufflepuff is the best house, (laughs) I would like to say. Um, Absolutely the best house. We get a tough rep, but we've got Cedric Diggory, so, you know. Oh, yeah, I'll take it. I'll take it. The world is good. Mm -hmm. I won't test you further. You can know your Patronus as well and your wand, but I won't go that far. What? I am Googling this as we speak. I used to be <laughs> such a huge Harry Potter fan. This is so off topic. I'm so sorry. I used to be able to recite the second film, like up oh, until wow. about halfway through. I used to drive my mum nuts. Wow. Yeah. Um, I used to be such and I used to have my own wand oh my god I am so uncool um, but I used to have my own wand and I can't remember now what it was no I think you're very cool Soph and I think you'd be great in our team oh, <laughs> given that you. level of kind of canon knowledge <laughs> That's amazing. I don't think any of us can recite any of the films, so that's that's impressive. Um, but I love being able to talk about that, right? Like, it's I love the aspect of my job, and I am a fan as well. Um, I, I grew up in that phenomenon generation that mm-hmm. grew up as the books were coming out and the films were coming out, so it's a bit surreal, really, for me to say that that's what I do. But my job specifically, kind of getting into the, the serious adult stuff of it all, is to work alongside, you know, a really talented bunch of people who oversee the international marketing and brand management of the wizarding world so that means that I look after or oversee kind of 15 international markets and their local teams supporting them in developing their kind of mid to long-term brand and marketing plans so it's a really chunky role and you know you really get this bird's eye view of what a multinational film studio and franchise looks like and all those moving parts of that business and if I'm honest I kind of feel like my job it's like doing an MBA whilst also working and what I mean by that is it's like I'm paid to work but I'm also paid to learn it's my job to learn about the local cultures internationally in markets Mm. it's my job and my team's job to make sure that we're bringing joy to fans basically in a culturally relevant way and if I was to really drill down into what my job is I think it's that I really enjoy it and it's been quite a steep learning curve because of all that cultural and local entertainment media knowledge that you need to have but it's also led to some really great experiences where my role has meant that I've Mm -hmm. I've traveled to China Japan Brazil Europe all business trips um so not necessarily all packed with fun as such but they've certainly become some memories that are kind of significant life moments for me so to your question of how did I get there I suppose I'm almost embarrassed to say this actually that I have been in the same company in the same film studio since I was an intern and I'm embarrassed to say that because I never thought I'd actually be old enough to say that I've been in the same company for 10 years like that's really surreal (laughs) for me I still think I'm an intern Um, and nor did I think actually that it'd be possible to stay challenged and you know and grow within a company for such a long period of time most of my friends and peers have done a lot of jumping around in their early career and I certainly haven't done that and then honestly before that I did have a few false starts so it wasn't all smooth sailing for me I actually messed up my A-levels in my second year if I go way back and that was quite out of character for me Um, I was a straight A student at the time but I really just wasn't enjoying the academic life or the pressure of it and I didn't know what I wanted to do I didn't know if I wanted to go to university so I just didn't apply and as my friends all went off to university finishing college I left my part-time job at Woolworths I'm really proud of working at Woolworths by 
by the way. <laughs> I have to put that in there, in my career mix. And I went to work at NetWest for a year as a cashier, which was the worst year to ever work at a bank. It was just as the financial crisis hit in 2008, but it gave me the kick up the arse I needed to resit my exams, get into uni and, and go from there. And even at uni, I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. I started off in politics and international relations and I had philosophy and marketing as my minors. And turns out I was pretty crappy at politics, but I was pretty good at marketing. <laughs> so I shifted mm-hmm. and uh, that course required a year in industry. I got the internship at Warner Brothers and then they hired me back. And uh, I suppose the rest is history. I totally know how it feels when you think back and you think, oh, good God, I've been in my career for 10 years. Like, yeah, how, nice. did, how did we get here? <laughs> yeah, it's surreal. I love that because I love how you had these different twists and turns from like the point of your A-levels and it took doing something different to you Mm -hmm. to realise this isn't what I want to do, I want to go back. And I guess that's happened twice, both with NetWest and then the initial path you took with your degree. I'm a firm believer of that kind of learning what you don't want to do is always as powerful as learning what you do want to do. Absolutely. And you know what? The first time I learned that, my first job after having a paper round was in a sandwich shop which I got fired from because I couldn't handle the pressure <laughs> when there was a huge queue at lunch. And, uh, you know, you learn these lessons young and it, it actually goes all the way through your career. Yeah, it really does. Okay, so what would you say has been your career highlight and why? I mean, first of all, working in film means that you definitely get to do some fun and sexy stuff, right? That wouldn't happen otherwise in other industries. So films like premieres and events and things like that. So I should acknowledge that. And the most starstruck I've ever been was actually at the premiere for A Star Is Born. You've got Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper on the red carpet somewhere. These absolutely huge stars. But the person who caught me off guard, and it's the only time I've ever been starstruck, was when I saw Shangela. Um, (gasps) Stop it! Shangela, the drag queen. Yeah. Oh. Oh my God. I didn't expect to see her on the red carpet <laughs> and she was walking past me as I was going into the cinema and I really lost my cool oh, and all my professionalism my went out of the window because you're not supposed to approach the talent when you work oh, in film. Do not blame you. And uh, I went straight up to her and got a photo with her and she was just amazing. <laughs> I um, do not blame you one little bit. I would also have probably died on the spot as well. Really amazing. That's, that is amazing. I was not <laughs> expecting <laughs> not expecting Shangela to be that person but I absolutely love it (laughs) neither was I but you know those moments aren't necessarily the real highlights for me when it comes to working in this industry so I think the key moments I could settle on the first one was when I first got hired back actually to Warner's and I worked on Gravity in 2013 don't know if you remember that film and I remember reading the script and you know I was so excited I couldn't put the script down and I actually still think I have a copy of it somewhere and anyway that film and that campaign just blew up in a way that we didn't expect and it was probably around this time I think it was about seven years ago now where you know it was getting all these awards seven Oscars six BAFTAs but that was the first time that I really felt the impact of film on the wider cultural conversation and realizing I was super junior at the time so I'm not taking credit for that campaign I was doing the grunt work but it was being part of a moment that the rest of the world was also part of was really big and the second time I felt that was actually when I was in Paris for the world premiere of Fantastic Beasts the Crimes of Grindelwald and it wasn't because of all the glamour but it was because walking around Paris that day there were people and fans 
was just everywhere dressed up as witches and wizards and wearing Hogwarts clothing and you know we had these huge media takeovers at Gallery Lafayette and it was just this stunning moment where you know you see that a lot in London that doesn't happen in other markets where it's not the home market so to see that in Paris I just really felt proud of that campaign and what we've been able to Mm -hmm. achieve so that was a real a real golden moment I think but honestly if I was to say my biggest personal career highlight and what that was I think it was my first business trip to China and Japan I was 27 and we did this mad four to five day trip so two days in each market one day travel in between and it was absolutely exhausting but this entire trip was about learning about China about Japan about getting a sense of the culture getting to know the teams there and onboarding them into the Wizarding World franchise as well and just something about that trip really woke me up I was so alive I was so stimulated and I was so in awe of Beijing and Tokyo I don't know if you've ever been but they were just like these terrifying impressive advanced yet traditional cultures and places that I just kind of I don't want to say fell in love with but kind of fell into fascination with about learning learning about Asia and um, they're so ahead of us technology wise and marketing wise it kind of was challenging me in that way as well in terms of wow this is what the future looks like when I was out there TikTok was already huge you know TikTok was a thing and now you're seeing it over here and and to be honest I just couldn't believe I was actually there so I had this sense of accomplishment you know if we go back to that girl that was working at Woolworths in that west who just messed up her A-levels to suddenly finding herself in Beijing and Tokyo in these conversations I think I was a, a little bit overwhelmed by it in the sense of oh I'm not sure that my life was destined to go this way but I'm really glad it has mm-hmm. and so I'd also say that probably started a little bit of what um, some people would call imposter syndrome as well that trip was like this wake-up call but was also the first time when I was like oh wow here I am and, and I don't know how I got here but it was a highlight nonetheless it was honestly that life experience it was my first time in Asia and I don't think I'll ever forget yeah. it okay so just kind of going the opposite way now grace what would you say has been the most challenging moment you faced in your career and how did you overcome this the most challenging moment I've faced in my career is a moment that spanned four to five years. So I don't know if I can call it a moment. It was a long <laughs> moment. But in this moment, I I really lost sight of who I was personally because I was struggling with both physical and mental health and the kind of consequences that that was having on my confidence personally as well as professionally. So how's about I start at the beginning of this four to five year moment and I'll walk you through it and then how that, that impacted my kind of professional life. Yes, yes let's go it. for it. So cast your minds back to 2014, right? Taylor Swift was at the top of the charts and we weren't in a global pandemic and you weren't scared to touch kind of public (laughs) door handles and you could hug each other. It was a great period. And I was 24 at the time and I got a virus, which I didn't know then was actually the Epstein-Barr virus, which is also what causes glandular fever. And I was incredibly ill for a few weeks, but I recovered. And after that, I was in the best shape of my life for about six months. And I say that because I, I strangely and distinctly remember feeling that I had too much energy and that I was too healthy like I was glowing um I felt really strong I was at the gym I was eating well I was at the start of this a new relationship that was kind of really important to me at the time and I just felt at my core that I was on the right track but I was worried that I was too healthy and I can't describe that really how that feels and that just went dark very quickly and one day I woke up and I just didn't feel right I'd lost my voice my glands were swollen 
swollen, I was extremely tired. And this went on for a few weeks, kind of consistently feeling unwell. So eventually um, I went to the doctors and I was actually encouraged to go by my boss at the time who was incredibly supportive. And thank goodness that she pushed me and I had a few blood tests. Nothing came up other than finding out that I had the antibodies to glandular fever. So that was when I knew I'd had that virus. And they said, you know, some people, they get post-viral fatigue. This should pass in a couple of weeks, maximum six months. We recommend you take a few weeks off work to rest. And this is kind of pretty similar to what a lot of people are going through right now who have had COVID and are getting long COVID. I was at the start of that journey, but not really knowing where it was going to lead to. And it's been so fascinating for me to kind of watch what's happened during this pandemic as post-viral fatigue and long-term fatigue issues have have kind of come to the fore in the media and people talking about mm-hmm. it. But I took a few weeks off work. Uh, I went back after four weeks and, you know, I didn't really take it too seriously because my doctor sounded pretty chilled out about it. But actually the consequences of me going back to work too soon was that I started to get sicker and more exhausted. And whilst that was happening in the background, kind of privately and personally at work, I actually just got the job um, in the team that I'm in now working, you know, across Harry Potter, Fantastic Beasts and the Wizarding World internationally. So there was this huge promotion for me it was a huge step up and frankly you know it was my dream job the stakes were really high for me personally in terms of how emotionally invested I was in the job and in the team and in this career you know I kind of felt like this was my moment and I was really excited about it but that excitement wasn't really being reflected in my body which I felt was really letting me down I still wasn't feeling very well in fact it was getting quite serious at this point so you know to give you context I was regularly feeling quite dizzy I was close to passing out most days on the tube into work I was picking up every every virus that was going in the office if someone came in with a cold. And the scariest part was that I actually started to experience brain fog, which is kind of like losing vocabulary. I became aware of that, had very severe migraines, some fuzzy thinking, disorientation, all sorts going on, like the list was endless. And so I was back at the doctors and they told me they thought I had leukemia. Oh my god. And we were kind of gearing up to me having leukemia. And they were doing all these tests, but the, um, the tests came back showing that nothing was wrong there was just this marker of infection in my blood but there was no real clear reason why I was feeling unwell so eventually after a a lot more blood tests and honestly got severe fear of giving blood now (laughs) I was the most dramatic patient they'll have ever had giving blood um honestly I'm embarrassed when I look back but I was I was so worked up as well because I really wanted to know what was going on with my body and eventually my doctor just kind of concluded that I had chronic fatigue syndrome which is also called ME which stands for two words that are quite difficult to pronounce so I'm not going to try here but you know and this is what some people will be going through now with with long COVID I was basically given a leaflet about fatigue in general I was told there was no cure that there was a specialist clinic with a 12-month waiting list uh, that could help me get disability benefits and financial aid if I needed to stop working and that was it that was my 10-minute appointment and I was kind of ushered out of the door and when I got home I lay in my bed thinking what the hell just happened what is this condition what does it mean and I was quite confused because the tone of the conversation that we'd had about my symptoms before when they thought it was leukemia was really quite serious and they were looking for options to help me and once I got diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome it's quite a stark contrast in how they handled that because I still had all those symptoms that I had before that but just suddenly it was as if that wasn't as important and in the end 
you know, the only thing I was offered in those few years was actually antidepressants, which I took and I wish I didn't because all they did was add chemicals into a mix of a body that was very unwell and they didn't do anything for me. And it took me two years to get off them. So look, just what my doctor should have told me for those who might not be familiar with chronic fatigue syndrome or ME is that it's a really serious long-term illness and it affects multiple body systems. The name chronic fatigue syndrome is quite misleading and leads to stigma. Um, It's the equivalent of saying, I suppose, that someone with Alzheimer's has chronic forgetfulness. It just doesn't add up to what you're experiencing internally, honestly. One of the biggest symptoms is obviously fatigue and that doesn't get better with rest. And they, you know, no one told me that at that point I might need to adjust how I work or how I live and that it could get to the point where I might not be able to complete daily tasks. And look, you know, the kind of real punchline of it really, which no one talks about, is that some people have died from chronic fatigue syndrome and ME and often they've died because they're not supported by their health systems in their countries. Um, Not many people take it seriously and their bodies can end up failing and some people end up actually taking their own lives because of how unbearable it can become. But that's all quite serious stuff. I didn't know any of that. I was clueless. So I just kept on going living my life, trying to lead a normal life as much as possible. And so bringing that back to work and what it meant in terms of challenges for me, I was clearly just had all these, you know, a few experiences that I shared with you. There were many more of all this great stuff I was doing and I was able to come into work and put on a show each day because I felt I had to. And I was also lucky because some people who have this condition can't do that so I should say that clearly my body was able to do that but the next four years from that diagnosis really in that incident was just me kind of living in a car crash in slow motion in extreme slow motion that I didn't even know I was in and fast forward four years it's got to the point where I've committed myself to my job so much with all my energy only being able to go on on my job that I was no longer in a relationship I'd spent at least a year maybe even 18 months not really seeing anybody after work or at the weekends because I I had no energy and I was crashing and it got so bad I feel emotional reflecting on this that there were days when I would get home and I would go without food because I didn't have energy to cook for myself I would just fall asleep I would just need to rest and the real turning point really was I got promoted again I took on more responsibility so my the kind of demands of my energy at work were increasing uh, but I actually had a friend who unfortunately got ill she got cancer and she passed away that year and something about her passing really woke me up to this kind of how much I wasn't living my life properly how much you could kind of see it as I was like a workaholic but not because I wanted to be as such because my body wasn't able to actually do anything else at that point if I chose to stay in that job in that role and I became so ill that um, I started having short-term memory loss. I'd kind of walk into a shop and then not know how I'd got there. I would get home and not remember my commute home. And my body was just slowing down to such a pace that I was terrified. And it was as if I could feel my soul. (laughs) It sounds dramatic, but it was like I was trying to get out of my body and I didn't think my life was worth living anymore. And I was obviously in the grips of very deep depression and anxiety and I hadn't realised it because there was just no support there out for me. And in the end, I had to take some time off work to look after my health. And all filled into that, of course, was this element of I'm not worthy. You know, I spoke earlier about being on that China trip. I had these chips on my shoulders from that. And because I was hiding so much of my life to my friends, my family, my colleagues, I was genuinely living a double life. And by the time I went into therapy, you know, I just sat down and I said, I have no idea who I am. This version of me that looks really successful on paper and is living this great professional life. And I'm kind of able to function really highly in delivering that. But when I get home, there's this other version that's just falling apart and I'm really ill and I need help. And it was a very sad moment, but I've got to say, through that, I went into therapy, 
I sorted out all my stuff and I really reevaluated what success looks like, what being a woman in the workplace looks like and came to terms with what it's like to not be an able-bodied person because my illness is invisible um, but it's still there and you know if I had a broken leg people would help me right mm. and they wouldn't expect me to run a marathon every day but that's what I was expecting of myself and it's been great because it's really challenged some of my gender stereotypes as well there's so much pressure on women about our bodies and how we should look how we should be and none of that was possible for me because I'd lost control of my body through my health so it was an entirely humbling experience that has made me a better person by going through it but I wish I hadn't got to that point and I wish there were more people in the workplace talking about if they have a disability or an illness you know I think there's a lot of talk in diversity about gender about race but I don't think disability or ableism has been challenged yet and I think it might have a moment coming out of the global pandemic because there's going to be a lot of people who are still going to be ill and that are going to you know have fatigue issues and the workplace is going to have to figure out how to deal with that and you know this might not be our first pandemic either viruses are are pretty scary and nasty things they can really mess you up and they kind of show how vulnerable your body is I think because it can just change overnight by getting a virus that some people recover from and and some people don't unfortunately gosh well thank you so much grace for talking to us about that so openly i know it's probably not the easiest thing to talk about but i think it's just so important to to raise awareness like you said and it's people like you that kind of will help others and encourage others to speak up about it um and i think obviously it's been a really really tough journey for you but it's it's incredible how you've worked through this and have been so strong and I feel really proud of you oh thank you so much (laughs) but I think this is what's important isn't it it's just feeling comfortable sharing your experiences and speaking out and not being afraid to reach out for support and I think especially when you're in that mindset of you know you want to do well at work I think especially if you're like very sort of early on in your your career and you want to do well and impress people around you but then when you've got this issue going on you kind of feel a bit lost and you don't really know where to go and it's just yeah it's it's a difficult thing to to work through and a lot of us sort of hold it in and don't speak out about it absolutely and that's the thing that makes me saddest looking back is that I felt so much shame I blamed myself you know I really thought it was a failure in me and I couldn't see you know I didn't think my life was worth living because it didn't fit into society's expectations Mm -hmm. right because you know it it looks different my relationships are going to look different how I work is going to look different and productivity you know we're in this big capitalist machine that's the society we're in and your worth isn't actually how productive you are it's who you are as a person but also productivity looks different for everyone and I realized by becoming part of the community Mm -hmm. now that have chronic fatigue syndrome and meeting people there are some amazingly talented people there's people I didn't even know about that have chronic fatigue like Cher had chronic fatigue (laughs) but no one talks about it because there's so much stigma and the reason I chose to speak about it today is because I was kind of doing some research just into disability generally to try and educate myself and I read that you know one in three people think that disabled people are less productive than other people and it also showed that people who once they realize they know someone who has a disability or a chronic illness it just normalizes it for them because I actually think most people out there have something whether it's mental health whether it's a a physical condition issues with their family whether it's you know there's most of us have something going on but we don't feel brave enough to talk about it and I just felt it was Mm -hmm. important too yeah it's it's almost like you don't want anybody to look at you differently Mm. knowing that you've got something going on but like you said we probably we all have something so it's it's just yeah yeah, being more open about it I'm going a little bit off script here (laughs) (laughs) sure Sure. Emma's a habit of doing this. I know, sorry, I always go off script. <laughs> Do you know, I've actually noticed listening to your podcast, <laughs> Emma just jumps, Emma jumps in with that. I'm just going to throw this one in there. I hate to put you on the spot. I know, um, but I just think it's, 
yeah, it's just something that we should touch on. But I was just wondering, Grace, if you have any advice or anything you've learned that you might be able to share to anyone who is struggling with balancing health and kind of looking after themselves alongside work and not feeling that they can talk about it with people at work. Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, getting balance in your life when it comes to work and health isn't always easy. And the term work-life balance, I think, can be a bit toxic because balance really looks and means different things to different people and will most certainly look different for those with with disabilities or, you know, chronic and long-term health conditions where it isn't just about balance, but it's more about accessibility and reasonable adjustments to your ways of working that help bring about that balance. So with regard to, you know, communicating with people at work about the support you need, my first piece of advice, and this is just from my own experience, is to expect that the most people won't know anything at all about your condition or health journey, and and understandably so, because they haven't lived through it. So, you know, you will need to educate people on your situation, and you need to find ways to do that that's the right way for you and minimises the stress of it, whilst being meaningful for the relationship with the person you're speaking with. It, it can be quite emotionally taxing to have to, to do that repeatedly and educate people in, in a work environment. So being as prepared as possible for those conversations certainly helped me take the emotion out of it. You know, a great place to start for your prep for conversations like these is going to see your GP to get, you know, a fact sheet about your condition, get supportive documents such as a doctor's note. And, you know, I just recommend using really simple terms and factual terms when it comes to speaking to HR about you know what your condition is what it means for you and then most importantly be specific with the adjustments or support that you would like to discuss regarding your working arrangements if you don't your workplace could come back to you with a really well-intended proposal that just potentially isn't actually quite right for your needs and your health and only you really know what's right for you a caveat to that for anyone with chronic fatigue syndrome or me specifically is that there is a lot of you know misleading and confusing information coming from the healthcare sector coming from doctors and that exists online. You know, unless you have an informed doctor, it's likely that you might need to actually take a fact sheet into them to educate them too. So, you know, that was certainly my experience and is part of the reason why my health deteriorated for so long was because I didn't have a doctor that was able to support me and give me the advice I needed to, to make adjustments in my life. So I really recommend for people with chronic fatigue syndrome to get your information from alternative, potentially, but trusted sources online. I found that the ME Association .org.uk and actionforme.org.uk are really good starting points for information like this. And they have templates that you can tailor to your own experience. People with, with chronic fatigue all experience it very differently. I'm at this, you know, one end of the spectrum where I function normally most days, but my, my body feels like hell, if I'm honest, on many days. But I'm I'm fine. I'm able to work. I've adjusted to that kind of level of, of pain in my body. But for some people, it looks different and you might need adjustments every day. So chronic fatigue is really nuanced in that way. There's not an obvious or easy solution, I don't think. And, you know, unfortunately, just kind of I do want to make the point that not all workplaces are safe environments. And I mean that in terms of emotional and psychological safety, as well as job security. Only you will know if it's right and safe for you to talk to your boss or to your HR team or colleagues about your health. You know, it can be much harder for people to comprehend when you have an invisible condition because you you look like them and they don't necessarily realize the impact or what you're going through so I just recommend getting to know your company's sickness policy as well as their diversity and inclusion policy a good company should have one and you know take a good temperature check before you embark on any of those conversations um, of where you feel your business is at with supporting people with disabilities and illness and lastly you know I just want to say this stuff is really hard so go easy on yourself and don't force yourself 
yourself to have any conversations that you aren't ready to have unless your health or situation you know requires urgent attention and adjustments at work before I was able to even talk about it with friends and family and you know my colleagues about what my experience was and my health kind of journey there was was just a huge amount of grief that I had to work through in terms of letting go of who I was before I got ill and kind of accepting who I am now and coming to peace with the way I have to live my life potentially for the rest of my life and you know that means the kind of some big fundamentals such as values and motivation can change and they're also really useful conversations to have in a in a work environment as well but what I'm saying is getting into the place where you're ready to talk and can take a long time and in my case several years and one of the things that really helped me alongside having my counseling and therapy was actually stumbling across a practical philosophy course which then led to me learning about buddhism and stoicism and meditation mindfulness which actually all gave me lots of new skills and mental management toolkits and practices which not only helped me shift my perspective towards life and you know my body and helping keep my nervous system calm so that I could rest and heal but it was actually a toolkit that I've taken into the workplace every day. I think these skill sets I've learned are taught in corporate environments and training courses they're just given different labels it might be managing stress or how to get into flow is something that a lot of people talk about now and I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, meditation and mindfulness. By no means am I saying that a positive mental attitude can cure any illness but it can certainly make life a bit more manageable and from a work perspective it's just really kind of giving me this level of kind of emotional grounding and maturity and compassion that I just didn't have before and that now really I think shines through in my management style and approach to work and people who have disabilities or are managing long-term or chronic conditions really do bring something unique to the table in terms of their attitude and the skill sets they have to manage stress high pressure situations etc which I think personally are often undervalued, underappreciated or even sadly not seen by corporate workplaces and society at large and it goes back to this point on capitalism and the obsession on productivity and that meaning self-worth but productivity can look really different to different people and it can be achieved in different ways and we've just all spent a whole year experimenting with how we work whilst we've been in lockdown and we have made workplaces accessible for all of us able-bodied people and people with disabilities and other conditions that might mean they need to be at home and dial into a meeting on a Zoom call, which before some people might have said, if you can't be in the boardroom, you can't be there. Actually, I think for many people, Zoom calls work better in many ways. And, you know, there's just been so much momentum driven this year that I really hope we carry into our ways of working as we come out of lockdown and that it gives people an open mind that how people work shouldn't be the most important focus point. Workplaces do need some structure, but I I'm interested in myself and my team and the people I work with and what they deliver and what they're bringing to the team and what new ideas and creativity and efficiencies they're bringing, which people who have to work differently to you or to able-bodied people or this workplace and culture that has been built historically and predominantly by men, you know, we can question that. We don't have to go with the status quo. And, And I really hope we have a moment here to reflect and really bring in a more diverse workforce when it comes to including people with disabilities and chronic illnesses. So just remember that you have that unique perspective and that other people who haven't lived through that just simply won't have it or will have it in a slightly different way. So how you work might look different, but what you bring might just be exceptional and you need your workplace to help you deliver that might kind of tie into everything you've just touched on and spoken about there Grace but is there anything in particular you've learned about yourself throughout your career and your journey and your experiences so far? The key thing I've learned is that I think everyone has two lives 
and the second life starts when you realize you've only got one. I really love that quote. It's not my quote. Um, <laughs> I don't know who did it, but it's so true. And I wish I hadn't have gone through the experience I've been through to realize how precious life is. And by going through that, I've really learned to reframe my my job and my career and my professional life in a way that works for me. There was clearly a time where it was out of balance and I felt that it was draining me and taking up a lot of my life. But what's never changed is that I absolutely love what I do and it's teaching me so much. I absolutely love the role that I do and I've learned that changing your mindset from one of fear to curiosity has made everything I do in life so much better. So when I say fear, I was scared about losing my job if I was to reveal how ill I was at the time. I was scared that I wasn't good enough at X. So when I was approaching a project, I was approaching it more from a place of panic than just genuine joy and curiosity. And I've sincerely shifted my entire mindset and approach to life that just having a curious mind and honestly everything else unfolds approaching it with joy like even a job that's really not the most exciting task I can always get something from it and I think that's the other thing I've really learned in my career that absolutely everything is your teacher particularly the difficult people the difficult tasks the difficult work you're doing you're gonna learn the most from that not everything should be easy and kind of using life and your career as your playground to develop your character and who you're becoming and, and learning and growing your knowledge I focus on my career that way and, and they're the biggest things that I've kind of learned about myself that your underlying motivation to how you approach something can really change everything I really love that and you know the other thing I was going to say particularly I think for the audience of your podcast and you know when you're at that transitional phase where you're starting to manage right maybe you're starting to lead or have a team I really think that you are tested when you become a manager you know give someone power and you really learn about their character and people respond in different ways and it's actually really important when you're mm. responsible for someone's well-being as well as what they deliver from a you know a commercial perspective and I found that a really good learning ground but it was quite uncomfortable for me at first but you know if if someone in your team or someone you're working with anything at work really that if it triggers you if it makes you angry or something's really rumbled you I think they're the great moments where you have to learn something about yourself because it's probably got absolutely nothing to do with them and everything to do with you have they crossed a line that is a value for you that you don't like that they've done that what Whatever it is, I think it's a great way. And I've certainly learned whilst I've managed people and started to manage mm. a larger team, I've learned about what my, my value system is and what my triggers are. I'm also where that leads to, you know, what are my weaknesses? What do I need to work on? Why is that an issue? And I think so many managers, perhaps more in a traditional sense, perhaps not our generation, but there's a traditional management style where I don't think people necessarily have traditionally reflected on their own behaviours and what they're bringing into the workplace. Whereas honestly, I think knowing yourself very very well it's the only way that you can manage and lead people no do you know what grace i totally totally understand what you're getting at there and a couple of years ago i was on a training course and it wasn't long after i just started reading and learning and understanding all about manifestation and the power of your mindset and perspective and all that kind of stuff and the lady who was leading this training asked everybody to go around the room and tell us something that had made them angry or upset this week and so i remember this one guy said he got really annoyed when um he was trying to get to work and there was an accident there was some traffic on the motorway and it made him late and he was therefore angry and upset about this and so uh, this lady was like okay so what if I tell you that wasn't the traffic that made you angry you made yourself angry and how that works is because we all like you say we all have our values and to this guy being on time and timekeeping and the value of time was clearly important to him it's clearly a value to him so the fact that there was traffic on the way to work and he couldn't do anything about it and therefore that made him late he made himself angry but because his own value was the value of time and anything that happens like that traffic it's a neutral 
event, traffic doesn't come with an emotion. It is a neutral event because, and we know that because for some people, for another person, that wouldn't have rattled them. It wouldn't have made them angry. They'd have just sat there and gone, eh, I'm enjoying sitting in the car and singing to music. Uh, so, and it's funny because uh, I remember after we had this training, there was a, there's a story that kind of goes around work now where one person in the team had done this training and one person hadn't. And the person who'd done the training was the manager and the person who hadn't was this girl who was working in the team. And this girl was like, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm really angry. And this this guy was like, no, you're making yourself stressed and you're making yourself angry. We, we don't do that. And she was just like, not now, John, not now. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, the biggest enemy we all have is our ego. And we might think we've not got one, but we do. And and it's kind of like, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? What are your key driving kind of behaviours? Why do you need this job? Why didn't I leave my job when I was really ill? Because I had this vision of myself that success looks like this job. That's not true. That's actually completely fabricated. But my ego and, you know, my self-esteem was so low because my personal life was a mess. I was like, you can't let that go or you're not going to have anything. And that's not true. And what I realised I haven't said yet is that my health is is really good by the way I'm not in the same place that I was I am really glad you clarified that you're feeling well at this point and that me and Em have not forced you to do this podcast (laughs) you're not feeling well (laughs) no not at all not at all honestly okay so do you have any advice for women who want to build a career in the film and entertainment industry it's an interesting question because I feel like the industry is going through significant, severe, fast-paced change, really accelerating yeah. because of the pandemic and what's happened to our theatrical business, um, which doesn't really exist at the moment. I don't think it's over. I think cinema is going to have a comeback. But I guess what I'd say is understand your reasons why you want to join, because there are definitely mm-hmm. some people in the Thank industry you. who are in it because they think it's glamorous. And it was for a period, I must admit, but not really, I don't feel, in my generation. Whilst I was there. I've been to a few premieres. There was a golden era of film, but I, you know, film's kind of becoming more about streaming platforms and digital services and what that means is where the industry I used to think was fairly closed because you had to be quite specialist and I was fortunate to have interned in the film industry and and kind of move up I think now there's if anyone's looking to transfer there's loads of transferable skills it's going to become much more tech focused certainly so I think it's going to open up a whole layer there and you know my biggest advice is that I'd say it's also hard work I don't know what people think the film industry is like and Emma I know you've had a flavour of it but it's actually quite long hours it can be quite high pressure in a good way if that fuels you but I'd also say it's not for everyone I think some people have a, a version of what it looks like but the industry's getting better there's certainly more if you're interested in the production side there's more academies opening I can't remember the name of this academy but one has opened specifically actually to try and bring people in who aren't from a traditional film background and give people from wider backgrounds to come into the film industry there's a lot of nepotism here which makes me feel a little bit uncomfortable sometimes but it's opening up and there's a lot of apprenticeship schemes and things like that for people who might want to get into the industry but you know network as much as you can I generally feel the industry has a good bunch of people in it and if you start chatting to people on LinkedIn I'm also certain that people would help it's amazing how many people say network is one of the tips for getting into mm-hmm. any industry and I think it just reinforces how important that is um so if you could give any advice to your younger self knowing what you do now what would it be I think career is a marathon, not a sprint. And I certainly think in your 20s and your 30s, there's quite a lot of pressure. People want to achieve certain things quite quickly, right? And think it's all over when they're 30 or they're 40 or whatever. And and actually it takes stamina. And if something's not happening for you straight away or as quickly as you want it, it doesn't mean it's a bad thing. And I say that because, you know, looking back at the roles I've had within film, both times when I got those roles, I ended up doing stuff that other people thought wasn't 
the big glossy projects. So for example, when I was in the new release film team, I got shifted from working on these huge titles like Gravity to working on these smaller local acquisition titles. They didn't have much budget, wasn't very high profile. I thought that was bad for my career. Actually, what it taught me was how to manage a film campaign from kind of cradle to grave in that whole product life cycle. And I learned more than I ever would have doing a small chunk of a really big campaign. And when I got this job in the Harry Potter team, so many people you wouldn't believe told me not to take the job. They were like, this is just going to be an approvals role. There's not going to be any creativity. It's going to be really bad for you. You're not going to enjoy it. There'll be no progression. And honestly, and these were people who I trusted. And mm-hmm. and it's that, again, I just, I took it. I took a leap of faith. I knew it was right for me. And the team and the role has grown as I have grown along with it and it's the best decision I ever made but didn't happen quickly and didn't happen in this vacuum of people thinking it was a great move either lots of people were questioning me so like I said it's a marathon not a sprint and you will get there if your heart's in the right place you're working hard you're networking you're doing what you should to present yourself properly you'll get there so take the pressure off and just have fun I've heard a few people say that on the podcast but my god have I have I lost out of the joy of some really major moments in my life because I was so stressed or too just in my own world. I was so wrapped up in myself. And honestly, your 20s as well, what a great period. I feel like your 20s and your 30s are actually research. Don't feel pressure to have it all figured out. Like it's just research. And I don't know if anyone ever does feel they have it figured out, but I definitely still think I'm in the baby mm-hmm. research phase yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love that. And you know what? I totally relate. Like I, I've had moments where I've had something in my head and like you say you kind of get wrapped up and I think we've all had or have this obsession with age and it's like you have in your head you want to hit certain markers by the time you're a certain age and I've had it before like when I changed careers or like when I've changed jobs and I've gone oh god god this isn't this isn't my plan this wasn't part of my plan and I've had a meltdown because I think oh my god like this is going to completely take me off track and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that and actually if I'd have just stopped worrying so much which is like the story of my life and just enjoyed the moment and what was happening it would have been so much better it would have been so much better (laughs) you know someone spoke to me once about you know that moment in the morning when you first Mm -hmm. wake up and you're just in between being asleep and Mm -hmm. being awake to the point where you don't know who you are yet you're just in this blissful moment but right there's this moment where you are just being and the you know we're human beings the clue is in the name you're just being and then all of a sudden you kind of wake up properly and you put Mm -hmm. on your life those worries what you've got to do today your to-do list you're putting that on to yourself and meditation and mindfulness and all of that that moment that you feel at that first moment when you wake up in the morning is always there for you to access it's just we're not very good at doing it because we're too busy putting on all that stuff which is essentially our ego and who we think we are and takes a lot of work to to get rid of that but someone told me about that once and I I think about it and meditation has helped me be able to get to that point this is why I meditate in the morning so I can just prolong that feeling Mm. absolutely start the day right (laughs) start the day right such an amazing way to think about it like I've never heard anyone talk about it like that before and I think it's got me thinking now I'm like oh yeah well I guess you never really notice that point do you between slowly waking up and then suddenly being like okay right this is my day like you're not really aware of it do you know um something I've just thought of I think looking back at my career I always thought that the really significant changes in my life and 
personally as well, were going to be about big, big moments, right? Big shifts. It's the new job or it's the training course you go on or recognition you get for a project. And what I didn't realize was that your daily habits are the most important thing in your life. If you want to predict the future and you can, just look at your daily habits. If you want to know where you're going to be in six months time or 12 months time, look at your daily habits. And changing those, those small things, is actually what also helped me to recover from chronic fatigue. You know, think of that day when I went off ill and had to look after myself. I was like, right, if I can just do 1% better every day at looking after myself, whatever that might be, in a year's time, I'm 365% better at that skill. And that has changed my life significantly. All the other stuff that you think are big moments actually haven't changed my life. Half of it's because when they did happen, I wasn't even present enough or in the right mind frame to really enjoy the moment and observe kind of the learnings from it. So I love that idea of like, if you want to predict the future, look at the small things you're doing now. So true. <laughs> yeah, I think it's similar to, again, going back to this training we mm. did a couple of years ago. And they said, if you want to know where you want to be, look down at your feet because where you are right now is where you want to be because similar to what you were saying Grace everything you do has led you up to this moment every choice you've made every action you've taken like if you're in a job you don't enjoy you're there because you applied for the job and you got the job and you've decided to stay which is sometimes it can be a bit tricky to think about yeah. and it sounds a bit harsh but yeah. that is where you you're there because you want to be yeah. because you've consciously made the decision to stay where you are in a job because it's oh god this is off on a tangent now but it's all about take we all take naturally take the easiest path in life Same and way. they gave the example of and somebody said well I don't um I have to pay my mortgage or I have to pay tap and it's like well no you don't have to I mean you do because if you don't yeah. you'll probably end up in jail or you'll end up homeless or you'll end up like mm. with all of this all of these other problems but so you pay yeah. tax and you pay your mortgage because it's the easiest route to take because it comes with less consequences so like i, said, I could talk about other stuff for ages but um yeah it's fascinating yeah. it's really interesting you've you've always got choices and and like you said even when people are in situations they're really unhappy in there is some kind of trade-off for why they're still doing it there is something it's yeah. giving you or mm-hmm. you wouldn't do it and it's almost like some people are scared to acknowledge yeah. some of that stuff God, you know, I feel like I needed this today. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I feel so good and positive and calm right now. <laughs> oh, I'm glad you guys do. <laughs> so do I. Um, is this that chat or is this that Prosecco you've got on the side? <laughs> Just to clarify, this is the, the, the glass of Prosecco that I'm going to have after recording this episode. <laughs> I have not had a sip. <laughs> it's a Friday. It's the end of the week. Oh, amazing. <laughs> Oh my god is it friday i actually forgot it was friday yeah. this, this is how much lockdown has just i've lost all sense of where i am i don't know what month it is i don't know where we are i've got no idea <laughs> okay so we've made it to the final um i was gonna say final episode <laughs> final episode <laughs> we've made it to the final question <laughs> that was em's way of saying so if i don't want to do this yeah. anymore <laughs> i quit <laughs> yeah that was a freudian slip i think emma oh okay so we can have a bit of fun with this one we always like finishing all of our interviews um with this question but if you weren't in this career and could do anything in the world what would it be anything in the world i would be a painter and a writer (laughs) oh that's a lovely answer honestly i when i was younger i did art and i there's totally a side to me that could have gone down an art kind of route and career but i didn't and i write all the time so if if money was no object and i could do anything i'd do that whilst traveling the world and probably being an 
outright hippie, to be honest, and I'd be living <laughs> living on the farm somewhere, <laughs> growing my own vegetables and uh, living off the oh. land, and that would be my life. It'd be a simpler time. It's a great answer. Keep putting it out there. <laughs> and on that note... <laughs> Well, as a regular listener to our podcast, Grace, um, you probably know that I always end with a bit of a summary, just reviewing everything we've spoken about. So I'm just going to go straight into it here. I guess the first thing is, and we touched on this right at the start, is as part of your career journey, it's okay to learn what you don't want to do to kind of figure out what you do want to do. So kind of working backwards and that is completely fine to to do that. And then you just give some really practical advice on sort of health and work and how you kind of approach that subject. And I really like this idea of pulling together a fact sheet and just really breaking it down and writing it down and then asking to speak to your to your manager or, or someone at work and talking them through that I thought that was a really nice way of doing it and kind of a practical way um, to sort of approach the subject and then the next part I guess is around perspective so I really loved this quote that everyone has two lives and the second life starts when you realize you only have one and again you sort of highlighted the importance of taking the time to reflect and reframe your job and personal life so it works for you and so that you could achieve that balance. So kind of changing your mindset from a place of fear to curiosity will allow you to process things better and approach things with joy. So it's really important to try and try and find the joy in everything, even the worst tasks. And again, I really like this quote, we've got a lot of quotes in here, but everything is your teacher. So even the difficult people and the difficult work and tasks, not everything is meant to be easy. And then on to the next quote, <laughs> um, but this but this really stood out for me. I thought it was really nice and I kind of instantly felt a sense of relief when hearing it, but it's use life and your career as your playground to develop your own character. So it all comes down to your motivation, how you approach things, and that can instantly change everything. And I think just kind of immediately saying that out loud, and I think it's the word playground, just kind of takes the pressure off it a little bit and just helps mm. you see it as something that's joyful as opposed to something that's stressful and comes with loads of responsibility it's just it's part of the journey and something you should take joy from I really like that Um, and then we spoke a little bit about difficult and challenging situations and the example here was around leadership and sort of managing a team and the idea that you you can be tested when you become a manager Um, and all of us will respond in different ways to that because you're responsible for people's work but then also their well-being and I think it's yeah here we kind of reflected on the idea that if something annoys you that's a really good moment to learn something about you because exposing yourself to different people people and situations can challenge you in new in new ways and bring out new things about you that you might not have known or realized before and that will help you get to know yourself more um, and it's just really important and then here I know you mentioned this at the end but kind of looking back on your career you always felt that it was the big things that are the most important but actually it's the daily habits that are the most important thing and if you want to know where you you will be in six months time look at those daily habits it's the small things that you can change that will help you in the long run okay and then just for anybody that's looking for for a career in film and entertainment try and understand why you want to be part of the industry and really break it down and see that it's changing rapidly but there's a lot of transferable skills now as it's moving towards tech focus and there's academies opening and also apprenticeship schemes so there's lots of different ways that you can get into the, the industry um, and then also just network as much as you can and this is something we obviously talk about a lot but even just chatting to people on LinkedIn as simple as that um, can really help and obviously you don't know where that might open doors to and then finally just to end on And again, another great quote, but just seeing your career as a marathon, not a sprint. And just kind of highlighting that in your 20s and 30s, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves. And all of us seem to want to achieve certain things by a particular time. But like you said, it kind of takes stamina. And if something isn't happening as quickly as you want it to, it's not a bad thing. If your heart's in the right place, you're working hard, you will get there. Just have fun and enjoy the whole journey. 
there we go thank you grace it's been a pleasure thank you for having me um i love listening to you guys and i love what you're doing so oh, i'm excited you, to see where you go next grace can come again <laughs> thank you. that is it for this week thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed this episode don't forget to hit the subscribe button now so that you never miss a show if you do have any career-based questions quandaries or predicaments that you'd like us to answer you can drop us an email at hello at girlsinwork.com this podcast is made possible by listeners like you so thank you for your support see you next time on the girls in work podcast <laughs>